Welcome to the Tear Out the Tags podcast, where you learn to remove the labels that are holding you back. Your life is increasingly defined by simple words that are meant to categorize you. These words are turned into hashtags, making you feel stuck with a limited definition of what you can be in this world. Tags, though helpful online, are ineffective at fully describing how big and extraordinary you are. Let's get started. Hello, Team Embolden. I met today's guest just a few months ago at a retreat for my mastermind community, Total Life Freedom, and instantly I decided Jared had to come on our show and share his message with the Tear Out the Tags audience. I am so excited that today on Christmas Day, we are bringing you a special conversation with Mr. Jared Odell. He guides people over mountains in their lives as a cross-cultural entrepreneur, writer, and communities development worker. He is a master connector, helping others intentionally connect with themselves, family, communities, and other cultures in West Africa and the United States. The entire world is changing and men are getting stuck and just don't know what to do. Jared is focusing his skills gained as a pastor, speaker, and copywriter to deal with the issue of male loneliness on his blog found at jaredodal.com. I will link all of Jared's information in the show notes and I am so excited to jump into it. Jared, welcome to the Tear Out the Tags podcast. I am elated to have you on this very, very special episode. And I just want to preface by wishing everyone a Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. Um, Today is just usually a day of celebration, a day of family, of friends, of connection, good food, good energy, presents, gifts, you know, all the beauties in life. But for many, many, many people, many Americans, Many people across the world, um, Christmas Day is a sad day. It's a lonely day. And um, if we've experienced loss or trauma in our lives, it can be a day that's heartbreaking and very, very sad. I want to preface this conversation today by saying I went through a divorce about six years ago, and the holidays ever since then have not been the same. So when the holidays approach, there tends to be more co-parenting conflict And I really see this push-pull in my children. They, you know, they have different families and different traditions, and it's slightly confusing and and a little bit overwhelming for them. And for me, at times, it's very lonely. So, you know, my kids have a wonderful relationship with their dad. They go there for a week to 10 days at a time over the holidays, which is a non-traditional schedule for us. And I'll tell you, it's super lonely. But what I see also in my family life is I'm remarried and my husband goes through the same thing. And I don't know that the men in my life are comfortable talking about male loneliness. So you and I've had a lot of discussions about my content and tear out the tags. I have really fought for a female and male audience because I really feel that tear out the tags is for both genders. And when I met you, it was like everything clicked. And so I really can't wait to dive into this conversation with you. Jared is writing a book about male loneliness, but he has a platform where he's able to speak about this in a really unique and amazing way. So Jared, welcome to the show and tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a treat uh, just to sit and 
have a conversation with you. Every time we have a conversation, I walk away smarter. So <laughs> I, I can't wait to, uh, to see where all this uh, takes us today. Uh, likewise. I'm a husband. I'm a dad of six kids. They're all six R's. We live in Ghana, West Africa right now, where I work cross-culturally. We do business startups and we do community development. We do work a little bit with churches there as well. And we have three of our kids here in the United States. Our oldest one is in college. I came back here on this trip where we met to get the next two started. And my wife is back in Ghana. So we've been separated. Me and her and the youngest three are back there uh, for the last uh, two and a half months. So that's been a, been a long stretch. So that's a little bit about us. I, I kind of stumbled into this whole male loneliness thing entrepreneurially. I was getting ready to write and work as a copywriter, and I realized, man, I didn't find writing for big companies to be exciting, and I couldn't figure out what was really going to spark my passion. And I ran across an article, and I found out that loneliness is the third leading health risk for men, like physically. And it just grabbed me because I've been alone, you know, working cross-culturally, just being a guy in different seasons of my life. And I was like, oh, this isn't just me. This is a real problem. And so that's, uh, that's kind of how I, I, I fell into this. And as I talk about it with guys, every single one of them, yeah, we need help with this. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Tell me, what do you think the difference is between a female being allowed to express loneliness and sort of the ability to, and this problem that's happening where men aren't, aren't able to, or don't know how to express their loneliness. So from my point of view, it seems like women can express to one another a little bit more easily. Hey, I miss you. Or, Hey, I'd like to hang out. Or like, it's, it's a little bit more normal to be vulnerable. Vulnerability isn't as threatening, it seems like, for most women uh, as it is for most guys. Being vulnerable for a guy is, for most of us, it takes a while to like get to that point. And I, I think that we're challenged in making deep, lasting friendships to begin with. And then with the digital age coming along, I think that makes it even more challenging where we're connected, but not really connecting, you know, we aren't really together. Um, and I don't know that we know how to reach out and just say it's, it is not the normal guy who reaches out first, picks up the phone says, Hey, how are you doing? I feel lonely like that. That's right. the exception to the rule. That just doesn't happen. So. Yeah. And we laugh, right? I kind of giggle when you say that, but it's the truth. It's we laugh because it is such an anomaly in this world. And you talk about living cross-culturally, but the thing that really struck me the first time I heard you speak about this was you said this is not a United States problem. This is a world problem. So tell the audience a little bit about what you've experienced in your cross-cultural life and what you've seen in Africa in men having the same relationship with male loneliness as perhaps you see in the States. So in Africa... Africans tend to be very friendly. Like if you meet an African person or someone who's immigrated here to the U.S. from Africa, eh, they're just joyous and they're happy to see you. And, you know, it's not just bright colors. They're bright people. And they, they do. They genuinely love getting to know people. But we say from an anthropological point of view that uh, the inside, the really real me, Africans hide that. 
especially, and it's only close friends and family. And so we will get to know each other. Africans are very easy to get to know on the outside. Americans are also similar to this, which is why Africans love Americans so much. We we get along on that level, mm -hmm. but the really real me, um, so I was talking with one of uh, some of my friends, my, my guy friends about this just before I made this trip. I said, Zach, American guys have this problem with being lonely and it threatens their very life. Like it's bad for their heart, their health, you know, their mind. He goes, Jared, it's not just Americans. I have the same problem. And this is my friend who's 55 years old. I'm, I'm 46. He said, you know me better than any, any Ghanaian. You know me better. We've, we've spent more time together and you know the really real me. I can't tell people about who I really am either. And Asian cultures are even tighter. You know, they, they, they have a harder time getting to know each other. And I think for men in most cultures and where I'm at in Africa, it's a very strong male dominated culture. And a lot of the world is still very male dominated. This whole thing of vulnerability and really being known as much as we want it and need it it's hard to find people to trust with it. All of us have been betrayed, we've been sold out, and that's an all cultural thing. And as the world is changing more digitally and more of a push towards a feminine, and it's not all bad, but more of a feminine grasp on culture, it leaves guys wondering, how can I really share what's going on in my life? Yeah, you know, I noticed that when I dove into this industry that people just made the assumption that you're a female motivational speaker. And it's funny because you look at like a Tony Robbins and you don't, you don't even assume that he was told, okay, these are your guys, right? He just speaks to everyone and, and does it obviously quite well. Um, but I find it really interesting how we have all these powerhouse women. We have Brene Brown and Rachel Hollis and Mel Robbins. I mean, the list goes on and on and they really are speaking empowerment into females. And it's, you know, empowerment in a lot of different ways. Some of it's emotional and physical image and business. But then you look at the numbers and the statistics of how many women are involved in personal development and how many men. And it's a significantly lower number. I don't want to botch mm -hmm. the statistics, but I, I think it's somewhere in the 70% women to 30% men. And when you look at the speakers who are reaching men, there are many more that are business related and, you know, kind of that, uh, that wiring than are talking about topics like you're talking about. And so in, in both of our worlds, um, we've talked a lot about how this affects relationship between man and woman, um, particularly in a marital relationship. Um, but I think it's fair to say also in the workplace, there's this gap forming between genders. Um, because we're speaking certain things into females and, and maybe not speaking certain things into men. So tell me, how, how does this affect relationships, particularly marital relationships, this male loneliness? That's a really great question. And let me use a story from Africa as an example. That might make it a little bit easier. That'd be great. So when we got started, I worked with about 500 women, training them in how to make handcrafted shea butter. So we would go community to community around, and we're teaching them, we're training them, we're investing in those businesses. They're starting to make money 
which is great. You know, in our culture, polygamy is still a thing. And the way the households work, women have to make money to supply part of the food, and it helps to send their children to school and those kinds of things. So in every dollar that you invest in women, it comes back with a multiple return, much more than men. We all know that the statistics are out there and whatnot. Okay, it's all fine and good, but we went and we're sitting with the chief and the elders of a village, and they said, what about us? Like, we're the landowners. Even the trees where these nuts come from, they belong to us. What's in this for us? And it really hit me hard that of all the, it's just a matter of not paying attention. It's not about not caring. It's not about trying to be rude. It's not trying to do something wrong. It's being intentional and empowering everyone because you still have guys that have real needs as farmers. And so we, we developed a program to work with the guys. But I think that happens in our culture. I see it happening in American culture and in Western culture as I come back and forth and can see some things. We are addressing a lot of problems for women, and that is great. Like, I'm, I'm all for that, okay? Um, you yeah, know, me too. <laughs> my, uh, you should be. We all should be, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I love all the things that are happening. That's really good. It's just that as culture is changing, it affects men also. Right. And just say, hey, take a back seat, whether that's intentional or not intentional. Most of it, I think, is not intentional, saying, okay, now you're less. It's just that how do, how do men find their way in this? And there's not a blueprint. Like, this right. is new. Yeah, and are, and are we leaving them behind, right? Are we leaving them even more lonely than maybe they're already experiencing? Well, some of the statistics are uh, in education, we can see that boys are falling further and further behind in education because there are more programs for girls. And so we can see it even now, okay? And that's, that's not to say we shouldn't be doing what we're doing for the girls. It's just, okay, what about if you're a guy? it's almost becoming second class gender now is because there's all these things for women, which is great. But now we've kind of, the pendulum has gone so far. And so men are left behind. And I think I speak for other guys where we say, Hey, what about us over here? You know, we're not, we're not anti anything else going on. It's just how do we fit? That's really the question. And whether it's in our, in our homes with our wives, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier. My wife is stepping out of homeschooling and starting to lead out more and more in our work. Okay, how do I fit? And that's a real discussion point. And I have to, I have emotions. Like, this is not just a rational thing. Right. You know, it's not just, oh, okay, she's going to do this. I need to get on board with it emotionally as well. And that takes longer for me. Maybe it's because I'm an old guy. I don't know. But... Well, no, but I think, you know, to your point, I think there's a lot of even young moms that are, they've been out of the workforce for, you know, maybe six to 10 years, and they're wanting to get back into a career where they feel they are valued in a different way than, you know, than the home life value. And, and you see this sometimes in traditional, like stay at home mom type roles in the U.S. where mom decides, I want to get a job and I want to get out of the house. And there seems to be some shift and maybe some threaten that happens with, um, with the leader, right? The provider of the house. And I'm sure. using tags. Um, I think a lot of men feel that pressure of, you know, being the, the strength in the home, the, the umbrella, so to speak, that protects everyone and that provides everything. And so then you have this conflict that takes place because 
there isn't a conversation that naturally maybe happens like what you and your wife are having right now with her shifting her role. Yeah. And I, I can say this a thousand percent. I am all for her doing her thing. Like I am thrilled that she is finding, you know, she's wanted to do this kind of work since she was a teenager. Like I am so happy that she can find the things that are fulfilling to her. But how do I do that? Because it's new, right? right? It's a, it's a new dynamic in our relationship. And, and on top of that, you know, we're starting to empty our nest. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's, there's a lot of these. And really what comes back to is, okay, what's my identity? And I think maybe at the core of this whole loneliness thing for guys is it's a real identity element of who I am, how I can relate with others. And where's a safe place to like figure that out. Um, I, I think most guys don't feel like there's room to figure it out. Like we, we kind of have to have it all put together. We don't have a lot of places to go and just bounce ideas and things around. We do. We just don't feel that way sometimes until we find, you know, some really good friends and not just people we're friendly with. Those are, you know, two different things. Yeah. What would you say to the guy who's listening, who maybe drowns the loneliness in, alcohol or drugs or inappropriate relations, pornography, you know, things that maybe are not helping the situation. What would you say to that guy? Dude, you're not alone. Like you are not as like you, you're very normal and that's not good. Okay. I'm not saying that that's okay, but you're really not alone in your struggle with being alone and you don't have to stay alone. There are a few things that you can do to really take charge of this thing and getting away from addictive, harmful behavior. There's just a few things you need to do and start living outside of yourself. I say sometimes I live in my own head too much. You know, I've got all the self-talk going on. And if you will commit to stepping out of that, your behavior will follow. It really will. You'll want to do other things. It's uncomfortable. But I want you, first of all, to know you're not alone and that you can step out of it. You, you stepped into it and you can step out of it. What about if they, if they feel that they don't have someone they can talk to? Where, where do you recommend starting as a man who has identified this as a problem and you would be you know, coaching someone to go and find someone that they could talk to? And, and I think we can all agree that first time that you're vulnerable, that first time you reach out to somebody is, is most definitely the most uncomfortable step. But where would you recommend somebody goes if they're going to be looking for a relationship that's safe, that they can confide in? What's the best place in your community to go? Okay. First off, wherever you go, remember that you will feel like you're really vulnerable. Nobody's going to like you. Nobody, it's like you, you feel really exposed. How could someone like me if they know the really real me? I want you to know that those are the people we always really like are those who really step up and start sharing who they are. And I would just challenge you before you even say a word, just think back when you know a friend or a guy or a leader that admitted I have a problem and you talked about it you didn't feel like they were the worst person in the world. So, you know, I want you to start with that fact that nobody is going to think less of you when you start reaching out and talking 
talking with someone. That, that's the first thing I want you to know and move from that confidence. The second thing is um, I would start looking for people that you feel safe going first with. Here's what I mean by that. When you're building a relationship, it, it's good to be an initiator. And there's a couple ways that you can initiate how to grow a relationship. The first is be the first to ask questions, a, a significant question. Don't just let the silence hang there. Ask about something, but then also be the first one to say something a little bit revealing. You know, it, it, it's kind of like a dance, right? Uh, it's kind of like dating a little bit where you, you share a little bit and you share a little bit, share a little bit. So using a cross-cultural reference, and whenever we're working with people in poverty, uh, when somebody doesn't have a lot of things, they just have their own information, they're very slow to trust and reveal that to people. And I think we're all the same way, right? Um, that's not just an anthropological thing for poverty. I think if we're lonely, we feel impoverished. Our soul feels impoverished. So just share a little bit, see how they respond, ask some more questions, uh, but then move forward. Where I go, okay, I have a group of guys that I've known for a few years. So start with some people that have known you for a while and seen you kind of go up and down through life, all right? And if you don't have someone like that, don't be afraid to reach way back and meet somebody that you haven't seen for a while and have fallen out of contact with. Uh, maybe you were really close for a while and for whatever reason, that relationship has either gone stale or just haven't seen each other. Maybe it's even gone bad, but don't be afraid to go back. You will get more out of that relationship than you will from just trying to find a new one, probably. Okay. That, that would be where I would start. I'd also say, don't be afraid to look for a coach or a counselor if you need one. Okay. And there are different dynamics with that. I have, I have a friend who's trained as a coach and as a, he's also a counselor, but we don't talk like that. We just talk. Mm -hmm. uh, but if he needs to chime in, he helps out with that as well. So there may be someone like that as a resource that you can find also, but I would start with some friends who know you. And when you start saying these things, also be ready to listen and receive, mm -hmm. because if you're going to open up, if they say, hey, you need to do, or maybe you should talk to, or hey, this sounds like a really big deal, really hear that and lean into it because they're, they're trying to come back and meet what they see that you need. So be ready to receive that. So that'd be a few things I would, I would say. Yeah, that's so important. You know, I just interviewed Andy Storch. He's also in the Total Life Freedom community with Jared and I, and he mentioned that he He's a bridge builder. He's, that was the tag that really popped out to me during our interview. He said, I really like connecting people. I really like bringing people together. I love helping people. And he mentioned, I had a hard time asking for help, asking for someone to come and help me. I wanted to be the, the one that helps others. And I wonder if this is a common thing that you see in men that they, you know, they're raised to be the strong one. They're raised to be not vulnerable and have this, let's call it like a, an outer shell, a protective layer. Is this something that you see that's common where they're happy to help everyone around them, but maybe they don't know how to ask for help when they need it? So I identify that. I think it's very true, but I identify that as the opposite side of the coin of pride. 
Mm. So here's, and it's a very American thing. Okay, I've come to realize that it's, it's a human thing, period. I see it across cultures. But the deal is this. In our culture, Americans, we are doers. We are fixers. We make things happen. That's how we're known around the world. That's how we identify ourselves. Cultures take on their own personalities, okay? And that it really is our task-oriented, problem-solving, fix-the-world kind of way of going about things. And I think it happens for women too, but it's especially true for men because that's we are identifying with that part of culture especially, all right? But the problem is when we think of pride, we tend to think of, you know, the arrogant jerk who just can't quit talking about himself. Mm-hmm. The other side of that coin is low self-esteem where we don't know how to receive help. We don't know how to say thank you. We don't know how to let somebody in. And it really is pride. I don't know that we intentionally want to be that way. I don't think we like that about ourselves, but I don't know that we are taught how to just let someone in. Mm -hmm. Like that's a learned skill in our culture. Other cultures, that's a little bit more normal, but in our culture, that's a learned skill set. And it's so important because we can't grow without letting people in and speak to the pain points in our life. Yeah, I'm picturing... I've got kind of an image of my head of like, and I hate to use the word typical because we are all so different, but I, I'm picturing just sort of a template of a guy, an American man, and he's wearing two tags, pride and lonely. And how and how empty that must sort of feel to wear those two tags and not really know how to remove either of them. And it could be because of the way that you're raised or because of your job title. I think a lot of times as men climb as leaders in their roles and they climb the the corporate ladder or they climb in monetary success, they then have even more pressure to have that stoic, you know, successful leader aura about them. And so how is pride and lonely fighting each other if someone's wearing both? Oh, they, they like feed each other. And it's, it's a tough thing. They actually really feed each other and cause us more and more isolation. And the expectation, I'll throw in a third one, that this expectation of what it means to be successful, okay, that we're taking pride in the thing that we do because of this expectation ourselves and others around us, and it leaves us lonely. And the higher, you're, you're exactly right, the higher up the food chain, the ladder, what, you know, whatever uh, analogy you want to use, we go, more of my friends that are further up there, the more lonely they are. Other people sometimes won't even let them come down, come down to their level, mm. you know, uh, to make that relationship. So I think what's important is to find friends that don't have expectations of you other than to be a friend or a guy or something like that. I can turn to three or four guys in my life that have zero expectation of me as a husband. If I fall off the face of the earth, I'm still their guy. Right. You know, if I, if I blow my job, okay, they're still there because they just expect me to be a guy. Like, yeah, you'd be a stupid guy if you did something stupid, <laughs> right. but you're, you're a guy, you're just a friend of mine. And I think that we can, if we don't have that outlet, uh, we're going to wind up in a cave that just itself, it reinforces where, the pride, this identity that I have, that I've crafted, I've worked so hard for, and that other people rely on, okay, and I want to serve and help, 
I just get left alone and I get left out and I don't know how to say I'm alone and I need help. Mm -hmm. Well, and can that loneliness be a self-fulfilling prophecy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because so I, I, I talk with uh, my background as a pastor. I talk with lots of friends who are pastors and senior ministers of larger churches. They have a harder time actually having friends because of the organization. They can't be friends within the organization because, you know, they're the leader. Right. I mean, they have some friendships, but it only goes so deep. And a lot of that is they've worked and worked and worked and worked. And this, like you said, self-fulfilling prophecy it is the identity we choose to put on ourselves about what success is. And generally, I will say most of the time, it's not until our mid 40s, 50s, where guys look around and go, hey, there's like more to this than me reaching the top of the food chain. I need to see who's around me and I need somebody who's, who's with me. Mm-hmm. That's not always true. Okay, that's not always true. But as a dad, you're kind of trying to do things by yourself, leading a family. And it it does. It reinforces from our own expectations over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Well, and we talked a little bit before we started the interview about folks who are chasing a new dream or a new goal and how there's this fear of success that comes up. And I'm, I'm in this place right now in my life. I've left a very longstanding career that was very comfortable for me. It wasn't necessarily well suited for me, but it, it was very comfortable. So now I'm chasing this new, you know, this whole new industry, whole new dream. And I'm, I'm terrified of success. And I, I said to you, I don't know what, what that's about. What's the fear of success. And so you shared with me that it's about identity. And so share with me a little bit about what does that look like when, when we're chasing something new we have this fear of our identity changing and how it affects relationships and the life that we're currently comfortable living. I think that the most terrifying thing of things like what you're doing and I'm, I'm doing also trying to build something like this is now we have to define our own success. And so the audience now is, it is everything that, that we think it is and we think it isn't, and we have to live with ourselves and those choices all the way around. And that's a deep identity issue. It's just as true if you switch into another career because you're going from you know, one hat, or I guess what you would say, one tag, right, to another tag of, mm-hmm. that we would put on, right? Well, when we do that, there's a risk. There's a risk of we won't make it. There's a risk that I'm not up to this thing, uh, whether, and this is both internal and external, okay, that it, it's not an either or, you know, a lot of times we think of the internal struggle with this, but look, there are people relying on us that have expectations of us as well. And we're, we're kind of putting into jeopardy everything that's been known. I think that's the hard thing is when you move from something that's known, anything that's known, even if it's unhealthy, when you step into something unknown, that growth process, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, we talk about it in transitions a lot, living cross-culturally. It's like uh, transplanting a plant. You know, you have one in one pot, you pull it out, and you put it down, and you got this great big mess right in the middle of everything, right? But you know it's going to be better because you got this bigger pot, more, more soil. You put it over there. 
but the plant doesn't immediately take off either, does it? No. Uh, it takes some time, right? And that whole process of identity is extremely challenging whenever we step into something new and we make a, a transition like that uh, because we're putting everything on the line. Like when you're there and exposed, everything's on the line and it's really uncomfortable. And stepping in and saying that this new thing, uh, like we'll look before we start taking off, we'll look at every reason why it will go wrong. Right. Like that goes through our head, right? Right. And whether it's we've heard it from someone, it's our own imagination or, you know, whatever, we just know and we can self-sabotage all along it. But it's it's this tough thing of moving into a new identity. It's normal. I think that we that we fight it. I think guys try to fight it alone more than women do in general. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know how to go through that together, but we need people to go through those transitions with and need to be open and listen. We can have a lot of growth. But that's un, that's not normal either because it's new. So I, I think we just fight the new. Yeah, it, it's hard to let new things happen. Well, and I, you know, I'm going to kind of ramble here, and I don't know if I'm going to make a lot of sense, but I see this a lot in our community where women will give up a lot of themselves when they have children, and and there's no doubt that women do this. You know, there's a lot that has to be sacrificed for a family. And they end up taking on a lot of identity of their children, their husbands, um, their roles in their community, their faith communities. And when that shift happens where they want to chase a new career path, it's a different dynamic because they're sort of transitioning from, okay, my role is a mom. And now I'm, I want to transition to be me again in whatever career or whatever role that they're searching for. But but I see kind of this problem happening where we have a lot of men in this society that we live in who've worked very hard to climb the ladder and provide for family and have their role in the family be these roles that we've kind of brought up, the provider, the strength, the umbrella. But there's not really a conversation happening, whether it's allowed or not allowed, where a man can say, I hate what I'm doing. I'm miserable because they have bills to pay and they have several mouths to feed. And now, granted, not every family is designed like this. By no means are we talking to every American family or every worldly family, but it's certainly in this world still somewhat of a tradition to have these roles in a marital family system. And so it, it brings up for me the first time that you and I had a conversation about how a woman can approach male lo loneliness and how a woman can be a part of the conversation. And you shared with me, you had your hands turned either towards each other or away from each other. And if we can, I would love to give our viewers um, a visual on what that means and how we as women can meet our partners in this space and allow safety in the relationship to talk about loneliness or shift or new identity or tearing out the tags. Yes. Okay. We can do that. Okay. Studies show that when in photographs, women tend to be looking at each other and men tend to be standing side by side. Okay, so if you'll kind of hold your hands, like if you're playing patty cake, you know, you have to hold it both ways, right? 
you, you hold it up like, uh, or if you're boxing, you know, holding your hands out and letting somebody punch your hands. That's kind of how guys, our default mode is to go through life side by side, not necessarily looking at each other, but doing something with each other. Most guys will talk about their strong relationships are from shared experiences of doing something with one another. War veterans, you know, my, my grandfathers both fought in World War II. They had buddies that they kept up with. Uh, work buddies, you know, we tend to define that relationship. We, we build relationship in what we do standing side by side. In, in those same photographs, women are looking at each other. So if you kind of take your hands and turn it 90 degrees to where the palms are facing each other, it's kind of representing how women, they tend to talk face to face. You know, they're more concerned about seeing things or picking up on the micro expressions and, you know, relating more in that moment to the person rather than the environment and the thing that they're doing. They cut through that and just see the person that generally in most, in most conversations and photographs point this out. So I think the hard thing is we've got two default modes. And the problem is, is we want, we, I mean, every human, we want everybody to start where I'm starting from, right? So all guys, we're like, why can't she just like stand side by side? Like, I want to do life with her, right? I want to walk through life with her. I mm. Let's go do these things together. That's, that's kind of how our default mode of thinking is. And that gets into life events and things like that, that are, that we tend to hang our hat on. Those are pegs for us. Women generally are thinking, why can't he just turn and look at me and forget all the stuff that's going on in life and just talk to me and know who I really am. And it's not an either or we both can learn skills uh, to meet the other gender and the other default mode. But I think it's helpful if we'll recognize, Hey, we're starting at a different spot. That's, that's like a hardwired thing genetically into us. And that's true across cultures. These were, these were across cultures that these photographs were taken and studied. It's not just an American thing. This is kind of how men look at life and women generally relate in life as well. So if, if we will stop pulling and demanding that the other person start where we are and turn a little bit, Maybe we can wind up with a 45 degree angle, right? Yeah. Constantly where, where we're seeing each other, but we're, we're also experiencing life together. I mean, to me, that sounds really nice. Yeah. I would love to be able to have a conversation all the time and do things. I want the both end. I just realize how I start and I'm going to need some help and maybe turning. Yeah. So that, that was a conversation that I think that, that we've had, but I, I wish that more people would have it and we could figure out how to, uh, husbands and wives would have that conversation. Say, okay, here's what I can do to help. I'll turn a little bit. Let me just turn a little bit and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And the true gift of being in a healthy relationship is that ability to pivot towards each other, almost like, a, like you're saying a dance, right? Where right. you know when you need to turn a little more or a little less. And I think it, it kind of brings the conversation also to female relationships with other women and male relationships with other men. Um, I'm, I remember vividly growing up thinking, why are girls so mean? You know, we have these big fights and we 
have these huge falling outs and then entire groups of female friendships are ruined and destroyed because of it. And when you talk about how personal and how we're facing each other, the metaphor is there. It's the hurt feelings are so much more hurt because we're so personal and connected to each other. And then you see the same thing with young guys. They, they can hurt each other or they can, you know, upset each other. And then they can kind of joke about it and move forward. And women can't understand that, but it's your metaphor and the way those hands turn. Um, and I hope that we've done a good job describing this to our audience today, because it's such an important definition of how we can function in relationship with each other, even though we're so different. Yeah. You know, uh- Guys, in fact, some of my best friends, we we fought hard. Like we'd wrestle and they'd get out of control. We'd punch each other and be mad. But when we came back, that's how we knew we were good friends. Mm -hmm. was because we could fight and get over it. Like that was kind of a test of male friendship. It wasn't personal. It was, okay, if I can come back and we can go on, that's when it became personal. You're right. It's a whole different deal. And if we can pivot and learn to pivot, And instead of demanding our own way, this is where if we will take the lead, this is, I think it's so important in a relationship, be willing to take a lead, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's asking a question or making a suggestion or being a little bit vulnerable. You don't have to go all the way. All right. That's not it either. But just take a, take a moment to pivot. And if, if your significant other is having a hard time, you may need to pivot the whole way and meet them. And that's okay too. Right. But just kind of recognize what that is. And I think, I think we can all grow and grow our relationships uh, just, just with a little bit of pivoting. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, when you've been in a relationship for several years, and honestly, it happens in the first couple of years, right? So if we have a couple today on Christmas Day, and maybe they're a blended family, maybe they are newly married or they've been together for 40 years and they've grown apart and they're sitting here listening to this episode and they're both feeling lonely. I almost picture that pivot like it's stuck, like it needs to be greased so that it can turn again. And I think the biggest piece of the puzzle there is, is to drop the scorekeeping and get back in the game. Um, You know, we see this so much in relationships where one person is just keeping score. And I, you know, I have this in me. I have to fight really hard to not be a scorekeeper. Um, Hopefully my husband would agree with that. But when we keep score of other people's offenses, there literally becomes a fence built between the two of us where we no longer can access each other and we no longer can turn towards each other. And so Jared and I, this Christmas morning, really encourage you, whatever you need to do today to drop that fence and to pull those boards down and to pivot in your position and face your partner. Um, Maybe perhaps it's a sibling that you need to face or a a parent, a child that you are able today on Christmas morning to shift ever so slightly in order to reach someone that you love um, and release yourself from this loneliness. Yeah, I, just to piggyback on that just a little bit, I think as Americans, we are so much, and we see it in our culture right now, we are more concerned about being treated right than doing the right thing. And we talk so much more about our rights than forgiving. And I'm telling you, deep relationships start with forgiveness, self-forgiveness. This whole identity thing we're talking about is forgiveness is this process of saying, okay, that didn't work. 
but life is still okay. That's really, that's really all forgiveness is. I'm still okay, you're okay, we can still make life work. And if we'll start majoring in forgiveness and in being right and doing the right thing, rather than being right and wanting our rights, man, our relationships will just blossom and grow. And so be the, be the one to do that and sow that seed this Christmas. Give that gift. That's the most powerful gift I think you could give somebody is by going first and sowing a little seed of forgiveness, just pivot a little bit, and just wait and see where that thing goes in 2021. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Jared, tell me about your book. We, you're diving into this. I'm kind of, I'm going to throw you here on the cliff's edge a little bit to tell us, excuse me, about what you're working on. And I know you're in the process, you're in the creative process, but I'd love to know what can the audience expect from you in the next year? What are you working on? Okay, yeah, this is, this is way out of my comfort zone. This, you, we talked earlier about that whole uh, sabotaging ourselves for stuff new. This is mine. And I'm just pushing you right towards hey, it. That's all right. <laughs> I, I think I've got a parachute. I hope it works. Yeah, I believe in <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, so what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm going to write regularly about loneliness. We just need to have this conversation, guys. And I think women do too. In fact, in, so the CDC has released that, uh, especially in older adults, loneliness is like smoking. It's worse than smoking 15 cigarettes a day, like physically for you. It's, it's a serious, serious deal. And we've got to have conversations so that we aren't lonely and we don't get lost. I don't want anyone to feel lonely. I don't want people to feel lost. So we're, I'm going to write a book around this. And I'm going to be blogging. One day I hope to start a podcast. We'll see where all of it goes. Uh, but for right now, uh, I'm going to be blogging at uh, jaredodle.com. And uh, every week I'll be putting out a long blog post. I've got several things written. Uh, I'm curating that now. I'll be looking for input because the deal is the input off of the blog will help me select the first topics for this book. And the way I want to write it is a narrative type, a story, because we all live in story, or a story about how guys are dealing with these issues that we're talking about. And then at the end, highlight uh, of each chapter, each section, each, each issue that we kind of deal with, just highlight, okay, what they did. Because if you're, if you're, if you're like me, Man, most, most guys, we're just kind of simple. We want a story we can kind of remember, and I need a few things to, like, figure out how to do it. And I want to give some options. And then the real twist, I haven't figured out yet, uh, but somehow I want to bring women into this conversation also. Because every time I talk about male loneliness around women, they're like, oh, yeah, my husband, you got to talk to him. <laughs> He's, he needs a friend. <laughs> yeah. If my husband wasn't so private, I would be chiming in right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, see if you could, you would. Right. Other women can, and they just do. Right. And uh, it's really funny when the guy is sitting there, he's like, he, you know, he's kind of like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I do need a friend. But it's really funny. I had, I had one lady tell me, you know, when he is healthy and not lonely, I'm happier, healthier. Because he is, you know, the whole relationship dynamic is better. So guys, this is a serious thing. We talk about providing and I, I, I'm, I'm guilty. Okay. I'm writing because I'm the world's, I, I'm not the expert. I'm the one who also is going through this journey as well. well that's what makes you the expert. And well, I'm just going first. I'm trying to take my own yep. advice there. Right. 
And uh, if, if we will provide this, if we will provide health to our relationships, to our families, to our partners, to our spouses, to our kids, it's the best gift that we can give because that lasts for generations. And so, guys, I want to really lead out in this with this book. I want you to get involved with blogging. Ladies, you're, invo- you're invited. Uh, but I have, a, I have an idea for how to, they maybe can find the manuscript at the end of the book and start talking about it as well. Because this is a us conversation. Um, I'm tired of dichotomy, separated conversations, because that's not how humanity works. We, we live together. We function together. That's our identity is together. So let's just be more, more transparent about that. So that's, that's where we're going with, with all of this. Yes. Jared, can everybody find you on social media? What are your social media handles? Yeah. So I'm, I'm jaredodal.com. Uh, that's my website. That's the best place to find me. And from there, you can find me on Instagram, jared.odal.5. Uh, I think that's right. And on Instagram, I've got to work on my handle on that. But you, if you go to the website, the link is there to it. And you can follow along there, Facebook as well. Okay. Uh, those are the three best places to find me. Fantastic. And we will put all of your information in the show notes as well as a bio so you can learn more about Jared and his amazing work cross-culturally. Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I have millions of tags that I would like to give you, and there's not one that isn't positive. They're all just, you bring such light to this conversation and such light to my content and my audience. And I'm so grateful that you said you'd come on the show. I look forward to having you on again in the future when your book is released and you are have a huge platform talking to men about this subject. So thank you for what you're doing. I personally am so grateful for you. And it was just a joy to have you on the show today. Well, thank you, B. And I feel the same way. And I'm so glad uh, that you invited me on. And I look forward to having a podcast and having you on so we can have this conversation for my audience because it's important to learn from each other. So thank you and best of success. I, I know great things are in store. I hope you guys enjoyed this special Christmas Day episode. If you are looking for one more gift to give this Christmas Day, we would greatly appreciate if you would send this message or this podcast out to the people in your life who need it. And as always, we greatly appreciate reviews on our show so that we can properly serve you and bring you more amazing content. Merry Christmas, and I look forward to having you back here tomorrow.